first of all, I want to say thank you so much for being with us on the uh, the Voice of Wall Street podcast. Um, Fisker Electric Vehicle Company goes public through a SPAC. Um, is there, I don't know, maybe there's also an AI component, a blockchain component, but you guys are really hitting kind of all the key buzzwords that the market wants to hear right now. But I think there's also a flip side to that, which is a lot of people are dubious. Oh, another SPAC. Oh, another electric vehicle company. Can you just talk a little bit about what differentiates Fisker and why folks on the market who are thinking of investing shouldn't just view Fisker, Fisker as you know, another flash in the pan, someone taking advantage of this electric vehicle craze or taking advantage of the SPAC craze? Yeah, I mean, we when we came out to the market with, with our deal, so to speak, we really uh, uh, were talking about something quite different than any other EV startup. And uh, the difference here was that we wanted to revolutionize the automotive business model as we know it. And I think if you ask any kid about how does the automotive industry works, they have a pretty simple answer. And that is, well, somebody engineers and designs a car, the company, and then they build a factory and then they build cars in that factory. And then they ship these cars to the dealer and then the dealer sells them. That's kind of how we know the auto automotive industry is how it's functioned over a hundred years. Now, what we looked at was to say, well, maybe this is not really perfect anymore because we've sort of entered a new digital age and we have entered into a new consumer age as well. And if you look at those two areas, they have really not been adapted to in the automotive industry, but in every other aspect of our life. So to give you two examples, one would be that if you look from a consumer point of view, uh, a lot of young people today, their first car or their first drive in a car without their parents where they're in charge is probably not in an old sports coupe with five-speed manual gearbox, but rather in the backseat of an Uber that they called on their mobile phone, so digitally. So that's a totally different emotional experience in terms of getting mobility than maybe a lot of us had when we were younger. Secondly, I think we have a generation of customers which maybe don't want to commit to going out and financing $50,000 of committing to you know, a three or four year lease. So we have kind of invented a lease model which is flexible. Uh, you can give back the car anytime after a month, three months, six months, nine months without penalties. And then finally, uh, when we look at the business model itself on terms of how to get a car to the market, we have disrupted that as well by having an amazing partnership with the world's third largest automotive supplier, Magna, out of Canada, where we're looking at more of a business model like Apple Foxconn, where they will build our vehicle just like Foxconn built the phones for, for Apple. Right. And we are sharing components, commodity components, between Magna, another OEM, and us to get volume. So there is a real difference in the entire business model uh, versus any of the other EV startups. And I think that attracted a lot of people to, to Fisker and they really understood that we were here to really create the future of a car company. Right. And you obviously are not brand new to this game. Fisker is a newly public company, but you had Fisker Automotive uh, years ago. Can you just talk about what you learned from that experience? Because obviously uh, that didn't go as you had planned and now you're here bringing Fisker back to the public again. Tell me about what you've learned and why folks who looked at that and said, oh no, you know, this guy already tried this and it failed. Why should we trust him again? What do you say to folks like that? 
Well, first of all, timing is everything. I mean, we were out uh, with our Fisker Karma one and a half year before Tesla launched the Model S. So we were very early out in 2011. There wasn't a big EV market. There was a lot of people who still didn't believe the EV market was ready. And then secondly, we had uh, not a fully developed battery technology, meaning we didn't have, you know, like today we have five large battery companies globally, you know, that have durability tested batteries for many, many years. At that time, it was a lot more risky. And there was only three battery companies. There was Panasonic that really were tied in with Tesla. There was LG Kim, which were tied in with General Motors. And then we had a small American battery company called A123. Now, unfortunately, they went bankrupt and, you know, as we had launched our cars, we couldn't continue. I think the lessons learned to today is we don't want to take that type of technology risk. Uh, batteries today are completely developed, durability tested, and we know they're going to can be high quality. So we don't need to go out and take any risk on that battery front. Uh, so that's definitely one lesson learned. The other is if we can raise all the money in one go, there's a lot less risk for investors, meaning for the first vehicle to put to market. So we went out and raised a billion dollars, which is more than we need to bring the Fisco Ocean to market. And then third, you know, it's clear that if you look at any sort of market segment you're in uh, and, and you want to compete, you have to find the real competitive edge. And that's why we really looked at the business model. How can we come out with electric vehicles, which are higher value for money than any of our competitors? And that's how we have set up the business model. So there was a lot of lessons learned. Absolutely. Yeah. But for investors, you know, you talk about being different from that Tesla model. I think four or five years ago, folks would have wanted that. They would have said, oh, yeah, we don't trust this Tesla model. We want something different. I think with Tesla's stock price up 28,000% year to date, <laughs> and that's obviously a bit of hyperbole there, but I mean, Tesla has really paid off for investors and they've done exactly the opposite of that. They had, they're building everything kind of in-house, they're expanding to China, it's an all-in-one. So why should investors look at that successful Tesla business model and say, oh no, I want something different than that? Well, I think if you think about Tesla, they took 10 years at least to accomplish where they are today. And I would say probably even more because they truly were founded in 2003. Uh, and they launched their first vehicle about 10 years later, the first production, high volume production vehicle, the Model S in 2013. So imagine now I go out to an investor saying, hey, I want to do the same as Tesla. Well, you're going to need you know, 10 years, maybe 15 to do it and many, many billions of dollars. So I don't think that would be the right approach. I think the approach we have is to say we actually do not want to copy Tesla. If we want to be an alternative to them, if we want to take part of the market, we're going to find our own niche. We're going to find our own business model. And if you think about the car market today, it's about 80 million vehicles globally, and only 2 million of those are electric. So obviously, it is not in, it, it really relevant for us to go and say, we want to take a Tesla customer and bring them into our car. What we want, we want a customer from BMW, Mercedes, or wherever, that drive gasoline cars today. And with that in mind, we designed a product that looks more like an SUV versus a fastback or a hatchback. And we set up a business model where we can truly compete on pricing, on a flexible lease. And that's why we are different than Tesla and, and any of the other EV startups. So you'll notice most of the other EV startups, they're going out to try and see if they can copy Tesla. I, I personally think that would have been a mistake because I don't know that investors today are willing to go through what they went through with Tesla. There was a different time. 
Also, when Fisker started originally, it was a different time. There was nobody else doing it. Uh, investors were very patient. Early adopters were very patient with vehicles that may not have been the quality they expected. Whereas today, I think people expect super quality from the vehicles. Investors is, expect you to come to market soon. In fact, people ask me, why it does it have to take two years? Can it be quicker? We are already developing our car in half the time it takes most other people and for less than half the money. So I think that the objective here is not for me to show that I can build a car better than Toyota. That may be other people's objective. My objective is to bring amazing vehicles to market, amazing environmental friendly vehicles, amazing looking vehicles. That's our objective with a new right. type of you know, flexible lease model. And to achieve that objective, we have partnered up with Magna to make sure we get high quality vehicles on the market on time. And finally, a car company needs more than one model. So we have set up our own development model. That means that we can bring cars to market faster than any other startup. And I think that's another key point where we can roll out new models a lot quicker. Yeah, and that actually brings me perfectly to the next question I was gonna ask you because it, as part of your business plan, I think it's an expectation that you'll be making $13 billion by 2025, up from you know ostensibly $0 right now. How do you get there from here? Just talk me through that if you could. Well, first we need to launch our first vehicle, the Fisker Ocean, and we're launching that in end of 22. So in just about two years from now, and that immediately will be ramped up in 23 to 50,000 vehicles. Now, why can we do that if it took Tesla three or four years to do that? Yeah. <laughs> because we don't make the car. So Magna already makes Mercedes, BMWs, other vehicles, Toyotas, by the way. And they do this for a living. And they gave us the plan saying we can ramp up this quick. They do it for the other clients and they'll do it for us. They are they're one of the first factories to actually make a ground up electric car. They make the Jaguar uh, I-Pace electric vehicle as well. So they already know how to do this and they're in charge of delivering these vehicles. They're in charge of the quality. So that's very different than if I was sitting here on your show and saying, hey, Dion, I'm going out to the desert and I'm gonna build a factory. I'm gonna ramp up three times as fast as Tesla. I would also be a little wondering if this really was gonna happening. But in the end of the day, this is a professional supplier who are doing it for us. And I think that's the real key difference here. And then secondly, of course, we're gonna introduce more vehicles than the Fisker Ocean. We have already announced we are planning to introduce at least three more vehicles before 2025, which is how ultimately we're gonna reach that volume and that revenue. But isn't the key though, getting those customers? I mean, you can make as many cars as you want, but as you pointed out, the electric vehicle market right now is still very small and it's still very controlled by Tesla. And I think what you were saying is you wanna expand the pie, but that's the big question. I mean, how do you do that? If you're not just taking Tesla's customers away, how do you get people, enough people, to want to buy a Fisker that you can get to those very impressive and lofty benchmarks that you've set? Well, if you have eight, if you have 78 million people who today is not buying a Tesla, that means there might be a reason why they're not buying it. So the first way to do it is not to make another Me Too Tesla, because there was a reason people didn't buy it. So we are doing vehicles that look extremely different. We'll have a very different user interface, different experience, customer experience. So our products will be very, very different. Our Fisker Ocean, for instance, like I mentioned, just the look of it, I mean, nobody would mistake that for a Tesla. It looks completely different. And we are really going after the traditional SUV customer. That's the fastest growing market in the world. 
Now, is there a guarantee that you can get all these, uh, uh, you know, customers? Of course not. I mean, nobody ever knew that Tesla was going to be that this big as they are today. So we have to try and plan something, and we're trying to do some forecast. And but in the end of the day, nobody has the his, historic, uh, you know, sales numbers in the traditional car company have in the EV industry, but. We feel we have very compelling uh, products that is going to be completely different what else is out in the market. And also then there's the pricing. So the battle so far in EVs have been done in the high-end luxury segment. And there's only so many people who can afford an $80,000 or $100,000 car. You know, our fiscal ocean will start at $37,499. And that's before the federal tax incentive. So yeah, it's so already... It is very, very good pricing. I mean, that's $29,999 with that. And the average car today in America costs just over $38,000. So we are below that. So I think we're going in a very unique market segment where I actually don't think we're going to have that much competition. You know, we surveyed the cars that's going to come out in the next three, four years. I mean, you look at GM's Hummer, $120,000 or something, and it will come down to $80,000. I mean, that's not even a competitor, yeah. even though it's from GM. So, you know, you have a lot of expensive, cool electric cars, but you don't have a lot that's going to cost under $40,000. Right. But I, wasn't this exactly the the Tesla value proposition? I don't even know how many years ago that this Model 3 was going to come out. It was going to be $30,000. It was going to be available to everyone. I mean, is the response to that just that you're having your cars built by the outside company and therefore you can hit the metrics? Because, you know, Elon Musk is boy, man, genius, uh, you know, superhero to millions and he still i think hasn't quite gotten this value proposition down so how does fisker succeed in this in the course of a year or two where tesla over the course of as you said since i think 2003 has not been able to make this happen so there is a couple of fundamentals that drives the, sort of the pricing of a car you know, is to build the materials, which is all the components combined, what is the cost of that? So that represents uh, probably about, I would say 80, 85% of the cost of the car. To actually assemble the cost is a very little part of the cost. So, so those are the two important parts. Now, what drives the build the materials especially is the volume. And if you look today, Tesla might be the only car company on the planet that makes over 100,000 electric vehicles of one single model. Nobody else does. But they still don't make, you know, millions. That's clear. Now, so that's number one. Number two, what determines the cost of manufacturing a car is not just that you own the factory. It's actually how many hours does it take to manufacture that car? That's what determines the cost. Now, I would tell you, and I believe that Magna has been in this business for decades. They have manufactured over 3 million vehicles, and they know how to manufacture vehicles really efficiently. And I believe that Magna will be manufacturing our car extremely efficiently for low cost, low hours per car. That's number one. When it comes to the builder materials, to get volume, our business model was from the get-go, that we believe in platform sharing, component sharing, where we see it as commodities. So we're not gonna share a headlamp that you can see, we're not gonna share a screen, we're not gonna share a body panel, because those are all things you see. But we're gonna share, you know, stamped aluminum parts that are part of the, the, the you know, uh, lower platform of this vehicle. 
And because we are sharing this platform means that there's another OEM that's gonna use all these components and they're gonna make even more than 50,000 vehicles a year. So we from the get-go have well over 100,000 vehicles a year in volume on these components. And that's how we bring the price down immediately for this vehicle. And so I was just gonna ask you to clarify what OEM is for those of our listeners. OEM is, so it's another large car maker is also using this original, you know, uh, 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 equipment manufacturer, that's uh, another car maker. They also are using this platform, it was developed by Magna. Magna is letting another OEM, they're, they're having another OEM using it. We are using it and we might bring in a third car maker. So three car makers sharing and creating this volume. You know, it's the same thing of why is McDonald's hamburger so cheap? Well, because they got all these franchises and they make a trillion of these patties every day versus the guy down the street that buys the meat and makes it himself, he will never be able to compete. So we are getting volume right out of the door. So that's something that right now, I, there is no car makers that have this type of volume. So that's number three. Number four, the, sec, the final part is that once you have the cost of a car, you have to pay for your overhead. So if you have X amount of people and it costs you to run all these factories, now you gotta put several thousand dollars per car First of all, then after that, you're going to have to put a dealer margin. Now, Tesla doesn't have a dealer margin. Neither do we. We're just going to sell direct. But we are very asset light. We are not building our own dealerships. And if we build our own dealerships, somebody has to pay for those. You have to have an overhead on top of each car. We don't do that. We have made a, a MOU with Cox Automotive. It's a big aftermarket group, uh, which basically service fleets. They do uh, uh, warehousing, logistics. We go pay, pay, pay as you go with them and get service done there. We'll pick up your car, take it to service, bring it back. We're doing similar deals in Europe. So our company is kind of like a digital car company. We're extremely light and we take so much cost out of this entire value chain that we believe we can come out with a car that's maybe at, at a better value than anything else that is in the market. Oh, maybe. Only maybe? Well, look, we don't know who's... <laughs> We don't know who's coming out with what in the future, but what we are seeing right now, like I mentioned, what we can see out in the market, I don't see any other cars that at least are as attractive as ours when it comes to pricing, the offering itself for $37,500. And, you know, we're still, you know, we didn't only talk about this pricing a couple of months ago when we talked to investors, we are confirming that that's the pricing we're going to do. And where are we also very different is if you take a traditional startup making a car from ground up, they truly don't really have an idea about what this car is gonna cost. In our case, we are working on a platform which had already been developed during the last several years. So all the components in this platform, they're known. We know what they cost, they've been durability tested. Of course, we need our own components like our own screen, our own body panels, but those are also known cost. So we have a much better idea about the total cost of our vehicle Gotcha. than you would have if you do everything from ground up. Yeah. And let's go to ask you, uh, you all went public before we had the election here in the U.S. Uh, President-elect Biden has put forth a pretty um, robust uh, green energy plan and platform that includes things that would definitely be beneficial for Fisker. Um, in terms of not just the electric vehicle tax credit, but also uh, power stations, things like that. Given that you all came forward before you knew this, did you have a Biden forecast and a Trump forecast? And what's the difference in terms of where Fisker goes 
over the next five years or next four years, I guess I should say, under President-elect Biden than where it would have under a second term in President Trump? Well, let me first tell you something interesting. I believe we were the first company to ring the bell after President-elect Biden was sort of verified as the winner this weekend. So we went and rang the bell yesterday at New York Stock Exchange. So I think that's pretty historic. Uh, and of course, we, we kind of started trading a, a week earlier. But no, look, one thing that was very important for me was to have fundamentally a business plan and a business model that could, that could really live by itself, regardless of who is running the con country. And that meant that we wanted to have this pricing of 37500 you know, built around our own business model and not built around who's giving incentives. Now, that said, of course, it's clear that as Biden comes into office, that he, uh, I've already stated that he is a great promoter of electric vehicles. In fact, I met him many, many years ago when he already was a believer in Fisker. Uh, when we did the first time around, he, he was obviously early out like we, we were. Um, so I think he's very serious about that. And we do need here in the US uh, upgrade on the electric grid. We need more charging infrastructure to get this turnaround into going electric. And I think it's very important for the country because we also want to be the leaders, not only with one company, but with several car companies. And at the end of the day, with 80 million vehicles made per year, you're going to need a lot of car companies to service all these customers with different type of models, different ways of purchasing them, et cetera. So I think it, it definitely will help us, but we didn't have, you know, one strategy with that president and one strategy with that president. We didn't have that. Okay. What did Biden tell you about Fisker back in the day or about electric vehicles? You know, he was super excited. I remember showing him the car and he was like, wow, this thing looks like a four-door Ferrari because we had done some pretty hot cars at that time. And, uh, right. so, and he said, you know, if you can make this thing work, we, you can sell a bunch of them. And, you know, he believed that we would move really quickly into electrification as well. Now, of course, it didn't go as fast as everybody thought. Right. And I think- Wait, was, when was that? This was back in 2010. Okay. 2010, so 10 years ago, uh, you know, and, and really I would say, you know, when Tesla came out with the Model S in 13 is probably when it slowly started. But if we really look at it, it's really only been the last three years that people truly, people truly have taken electric cars serious. And of course, one of the other issues today, why we don't see the growth we expect is because there's not enough choice. So if you wanna go and buy a certain type of vehicle, it may not be available as an electric vehicle, or you may feel it's too expensive. And I think that's where we come in to say, we're gonna offer you a really cool SUV that you can afford. We're gonna offer you this type of stuff. We're gonna offer you that type of stuff. So we are planning to go into these areas of the segment where the currently either is not an offering or not a great offering and come up with the best in that segment. Okay. All right, Henrik Fisker, uh, thanks for being with us. Last question I got to ask you before I let you go. We had we had some technical difficulties on uh, trying to get this interview going before. And I got to ask, you know, for folks who are like, wait a second, he's, he's leading this brand new electric vehicle company, the future of transportation, but he's having issues getting on the, uh, getting on the, the Zencaster call. What do you say? Because I, I got to tell people about that, you know, and they're going to have questions. Why should they still trust you, even though you had technical difficulties getting this podcast? Well, you know, it's not much different from the potholes, right? I mean, we're talking about a super connected future with autonomous vehicles and we can't even fix our potholes. You know, unfortunately, you know, I think reality is that, you know, I'm not an IT guy. 
And uh, I, I will tell you, before COVID, I'd never even bought a pair of shoes online, but my running shoes were just out and I had to. And I'm like, yeah, of course I can do that. And it's easy. So I think there's a first for everything and getting into, you know, doing Zoom calls and whatever else we're doing, you know, is a new learning phase. And it's a pretty good example, what you just mentioned here about the learning phase we need to have with electric cars where, oh, now I have to plug it in somewhere. I got to find a different way of charging my car or whatever it might be, you know, just as using a touchscreen instead of the button. So we're going through a learning phase in whatever part of the society we are, but fundamentally we are going digital. I mean, whether we like it or not, there was no way I was going to get on a plane yeah. and meet you as much as we would like to, because we were forced to do it this way. So we learn, and then we have to figure out how do we improve it? That that's the key here. Gotcha. All right. Well, Henrik Fisker, thank you so very much for being on the show with us today. Great to see you.